sifter.com.au. Hello and welcome to Lightmap by Sifter. On Lightmap, we explore what it takes to make video games and interactive media and you meet creative teams from all around the world. We talk to developers, artists, musicians, writers, vocalists, uh, actors sometimes. Uh, my name is Gianni Di Giovanni and thanks to my co-host Adam Christou uh, for joining me on this episode. Hello, Adam. Hey, hey, how's it going? Our guests on Lightmap this week are Teddy Diff, director, co-writer, actor, and vocalist, and Claire Dia, uh, co-writer on We Are OFK, a musical episodic biopic about a cool bunch of friends who are just trying to make it in the musical world while struggling through, uh, I guess, their, their day jobs and the pressures of that. Hello to you both. Thank you so much for joining us. Hi. It's so great to be here. Thanks for having us. That was about as tight of an explanation of the project as I've ever done. So yeah. thank you for doing it for us. We can't wait, can't wait to learn a little bit more about uh, your game uh, that is really interesting and uses a lot of things that uh, you don't commonly see in games uh, these days. Um, but before we do, let's find out what's been making the news this week on Sifter's news podcast, Walk through. Hi, I'm Fiona Bartholomew. And I'm Kyle Paletto. And here are the top stories this week on Walkthrough, Sifter's weekly news podcast for Sunday, 10th of March. We have the highlights from this week's Xbox Partner Preview. Roguelike deck builder Bellatro pulled from stores due to misunderstanding about its gambling content. A 2.4 million US dollar settlement has killed the two biggest Switch and 3DS emulators. And this year's BAFTA award nominations are here. You can get every episode of Walkthrough for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or on our website, sifter.com.au, every Sunday. Articles to read, podcasts to listen to, and videos to watch on sifter.com.au. Here's your shot at it. Can you tell me, in your words, what is We Are OFK? Okay, I usually say uh, We Are OFK is, is two things, right? It is OFK which is a virtual band. So like the Gorillas or Hatsune Miku or KDA or Alvin and the Chipmunks or Josie and the Pussycats or like the Monkees, if you're being kind of technical about it. Um, and then it is a video game that tells their story of how the band came together. So as a project team, we kind of operate those two things, both in the game space and also in the music industry space. You know, why was it that you wanted to do it in that particular format? Is it just because it, it really pulls on that television style um, or did it make sense from a production perspective? I'd say both. I mean, Claire comes from TV, so you could talk to that a little bit, but like structurally, I was interested in telling a story in episodic format. It seemed to make a lot of sense that the like early drafts of the script were like pretty sitcom formatty. Um, so we knew we were going to have an ensemble cast and we knew like we wanted to give them each focus and perspective. Right. So um, that combined with the fact that we knew we were going to be releasing music and we wanted to have a way to, to, to pace it out in terms of how we released it just kind of like came together really nicely in terms of like, okay, we'll release a new song from the band every week. And we'll also do a new episode every week. And I've also just had it like chip on my shoulder for like a decade about like, why I want to do a weekly game. Why, why can we not do this? So, exactly. um, but yeah, like, I mean, Ted, we really wanted to make a game that felt also very like real, very like in the world that we're living in. So mm -hmm. it was important to us to be able to release it as, 
as kind of like the characters are living it out in, in real time. Mm-hmm. Like there's, you know, a week between episodes, there's a week between what's happening um, to the characters in, in the story. So, yeah, I felt like, you know, it's like for releasing it all at once. It's like the, char- the story can't happen all at once. We gotta, we gotta, some, some time's got to pass. I feel like I was just thinking about this the other day because I was watching some TV show that like had like clearly no sense of specific time, but it didn't matter. And I was like, why the fuck was I so worried about like, is it a Tuesday or is it a Thursday? <laughs> right. Oh yeah, yeah. The, the, the Saturday Sunday of it all. It's an important. It's an important writing process. Big headache. Yeah. Mm, I almost want to guess what that show was, but I might leave it to the side. Um, Claire, I'm really curious. Um, you've got a lot of background in television writing. You worked on things like Nora from Queens and Fresh Off the Boat. What was it like coming into this project and how different was it from traditional TV writing rooms? You know, it was actually more similar than I thought it was going to be. Like I, you know, coming, getting, getting into the, the game at the start, I was pretty intimidated. I was like, oh my God, all these choices. Are we going to like basically write like, like, like 50 times the amount of script as a regular TV show would. But, um, you know, the actual writing process was very similar to that of, of TV writing. And we, you know, we wrote, you know, story came first. We wrote this, wrote the, wrote the, the scripts, the, 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 the episodes. And then we kind of did like a, the choice pass afterwards an equally important pass but it was just it was kind of like a divided process so it just was it was easy for my brain to digest and i wasn't so scared after we started doing it and um and i think i mean i i'm so new to games i don't know how other games do it but like teddy took a very like very character and story driven approach to it that was you know just wanting it to the story was the most important thing or like it was it was it was just very it was very important for us to to tell like a like a story like a like any other TV show, um, so yeah, it felt it felt very natural. Mm. Well, let's let's jump into that story then. So it's it's set in a city. It's in LA, and it's it's one of those stories for me that is kind of the city as a character as well. It's part of the, the sort of not just the backdrop, but the the experience of all these characters in it as well. And you know, I've always felt like there is this sort of really interesting overlap between. Um, the creative existence of people in the game development community and the creative existence of independent musicians. Like that it, it is a very similar experience. And I feel like both industries have this sort of upper tier, the AAA game world or the major label world, which tend to be dominated by big, powerful men that have found themselves in positions of power for a long time. Um, and I think a lot of creative people find themselves in this weird sort of like strange envy, if you will, where they kind of end up working in places that maybe not really nourish them or give them the drive that they need because they want to do creative work. Um, it was interesting to sort of see a game all about that overlap. And so I'm curious, like, how did how did this process of setting these characters up begin? Um, how did you decide to put them in a game development universe and then also make them musicians like i'm really curious is this a bit of auto fiction as well because of your background teddy like i'm i'm fascinated to unpack this so not literally right like this like all the names and places are purely fictional right yes. we're all friends yeah. here yeah, yeah, yeah. um but uh yeah i think like um the way that it became what it was is that it started like i said in this kind of a sitcom-y format and then we knew it was going to be this group of people in LA, very write what you know, write about a creative process and the industry of, of creating things and capitalism a little bit overshadowing. Um, and so we knew they kind of needed to come together around a project. It was just, it just felt like an important part of, of how we would structure these episodes. 
Um, so the way in which maybe it's a little bit um, auto, auto, I almost said autocratic, and I'm like, Jesus Christ, I hope not. <laughs> the, the way that it started focusing on music is actually my very first collaborator on the project was Michaela Foote, who was our producer, who had been a friend of mine who um, had a full history of working as management for recording artists, for musicians. Um, and we started working together, not expecting to do music, but it was just kind of like, oh, I'm looking for like an indie producer or someone to help with this project. I feel like a lot of the verbs and, and work types are similar. But then as soon as we needed a project, it was like, oh, wait, okay. Michaela understands the music industry. I have a background in singing and music, and I would love to incorporate that. We don't want to make a story that is like fully like a game about making games. You know, like it does exist a little bit in that space because it was worth taking a couple jabs at like big industry companies. Um, uh, but that is kind of how the, the makeup of the people ended up enforcing the format of the thing. And I think that happened throughout, both in terms of like Claire joining and reinforcing like the pacing and the, the process of the writing process for, for TV, as well as a lot of our team coming from Telewise Animation too. Mm. I'm, I'm curious about the pacing in particular, because one thing I really like about this story is the use of digital communication, which doesn't always translate really well on screen in television. I mean, I've seen a lot of TV shows try to bring in text messages or text conversations. I think of Heartstopper on Netflix as one of the most recent examples of teenagers on their phones done quite well and sort of the tension of like waiting for a reply. And one thing I really liked about We Are OFK is like being in that liminal space with these characters while they're on their phones and on their devices. Um, I'm curious about how you went around that process of bringing the phone in as such an essential element of these characters, their personalities and how they use their devices. Cause there's so much going on with what they miss when they're on them as, and also all of the sort of layered conversations that are happening in scenes while they're sort of sitting and talking to other people as well. Where do we start? Um, I, oh, I have something to say. And then I feel Please. like you, if you want to talk about character voice, I think that'd be fun. Oh, sure. All right. So like, Structurally, what was really striking to me is like, like people have asked or, or talked to us about like, oh, it's like interesting the use of texting. And for me, coming from mostly a games background in terms of writing, I felt like the amount of texting was very small. Um, like, and a lot of I think early work that you were doing on the outline was being like, there is this texting scene is too long. Like this texting scene lasts two minutes. That's like longer than most of the scenes that we're writing with the pace that we're going for. And so I had to kind of reprogram like tight, tighter, 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 tighter on texting um, because pacing was one of the priorities of the project and like the way we did the ensemble cast recording and the way that the dialogue had to be really tight on itself. The way, the reason we don't do like press X to continue on dialogue like other video games might and follow more of a TV format. So I that was a big thing for me was just adapting to like, we have actually less than I was expecting to work with, but I think it worked really nicely with how, they're com how they communicate in... 2022 and then like how we communicate right right i mean texting i, I guess was, has been such a big part of it since the beginning because i i mean i i feel like like t so much of our relationships and friendships are texting like i feel like i'm way wittier and funny over text than i am whenever i speak so <laughs> it's like it was, it was a chance for me to really shine but uh yeah i feel like you know like i'm glad that you picked up on um, some of these scenes where like there's a lot going on in the background, but also there's stuff going on um, over text. I mean, there's you know the big concerto scene, like, and and we wanted and yeah, we just really wanted to capture the realism of like texting is not just like 
like this millennial and Gen Z invention that is destroying the universe. It's just like, it's like, it's a part, it's a very critical part of our, about the way that we bond um, in today's society. And it's not, it's not a bad thing. It's a, like, I think it's quite beautiful. Some of my, some of my best times are spent texting my friends. So, and like, and uh, so, yeah. And, and, and what Teddy was saying about voice, it was, it was just, it was also like a perfect opportunity for us to really showcase um, the characters' voices. I mean, I think there's a certain way that you can speak, but also uh, there's a certain part of your personality that can only come out through texting. And I always like to talk about how like Itsumi and Luca, the way that the, they, they talk over text, especially is very much me and Teddy. Like that was not even that, like writing that was not even like work. That was just like, ah, oh, let me just, you know, text as if I'm texting Teddy right now. So so that was that was very fun, and um, and it was fun to play with the other voices because like like Jay texts in a way that I would be very if someone's ever texted me this way I would be very scared. Lots of periods, lots of complete sentences, no misspelled words. I'm like so uncomfortable. Uncomfortable. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. It, it, one of the things I really liked is yeah exactly as you said there the contrast between the two like lives and conversations of how they're doing. It. And one I think I quite liked was the way that. The conversations that you were writing um, for the characters felt very grounded in, you know, in, in many ways better than a lot of TV shows that I have seen. Um, can you tell me what are some of the, I guess, uh, you know, character touchstones that you wanted to have uh, for our main cast of, of characters, which you haven't really touched on that much, um, about the way that they do communicate? You mentioned Jay there, very matter of fact with the text, get everything correct. But what was it about the way that they talked and interact with each other when you were designing who they were? in this world i mean i think i think it was definitely a really fun thing to think about like how they would be communicating over text and i I know carter is very much someone who like texts in a very specific way that um we hope translated well between like their the way that they speak and also the way that they they text they're kind of like someone who is you know easily obfuscates what, what they're really feeling or, or talks about something makes up a story or or describes some like a reference in a book or a movie in favor of actually like opening up and being vulnerable um which we really wanted to emphasize over text um yeah and i feel like like with jay luca and Itsumi, it was it was very easy to know how that person would text um you know we've we've all seen these kind of people before We've both dated avoidant people. Yes, yes. You know, I'm, so. I'm so glad you said that word. I, <laughs> I was about to say, like, as I was playing this, I have my have my good old notebook that I always like to write in when I'm when I'm watching or playing something. And you know, as a queer person, I have done a lot of therapy. I've been in the lucky position to afford it. I think it's a it's a fun experience of growing up queer. Um, and the first thing I started writing down was avoidance and avoidant over and over. And and then also me in my twenties and then underlining that like a million times. Um, and, and I really liked seeing that on screen because I think a lot when we, when we think about characters who are queer, when we think about queerness in media, there is this idea to kind of um, represent like really polished best of perfected people. And what I really loved about this cast in particular is they are all flawed. They are all in a process of growing up. And a lot of them have avoidant habits um, or issues with being able to communicate clearly to each other. And so many of the tensions among these characters would be resolved with a sit down conversation. But I love that there is a naturalness about the fact that they don't do that because that is kind of what bumbling around in your early and mid twenties is like. It's, it's a lot of feeling out and learning how to, to have conversations with people in a lot of ways. Um, I'm curious how, 
it came about writing those those flaws into these characters and 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 was there a process where you were like are we making a character unlikable here because what i found was there was so much empathy for all these characters that i didn't feel anyone was ever unlikable despite flaws that would drive me crazy now like i think that was actually one of the things that for me like necessitated texting as part of the storytelling too is because like not only is tone different in texting or like we come across differently but also like there are things sometimes that I'm unable to say or have been unable to say, or at least topics I've been unable to, to, to broach like through spoken language. Right. And when you're trying to like tell a story about people who are having trouble communicating, but also like keep it tight um, and try to respect people's time and not have this drag out forever. It's like, cool. Okay. Like someone has to say something or something has to happen. That's going to get this conversation going. And there are ways to do that without texting, but it just felt important um, for people who are learning how to express themselves um, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think um, I'm so glad that you resonate with these characters as flawed people because, you know, we we want all of them to be three-dimensional. It's like, it's 2022, like, queer people can be fucked up too. Like, uh, the pe- people of color can can be assholes too. It's just so, you know, we, we especially, like, I personally, like, love the kind of, like, twist of Itsumi's character because she, like, kind of... I mean, I don't want to give it away. I don't know if, for people who haven't played it yet. I'm not going to say too much, but uh, you know, it's she. I feel like we posit her very much as this kind of like more vulnerable character, someone who wears her heart on her sleeve, and seems to always be the one that's that's being hurt by others. But you know, then another twist. You know, like like everyone is capable of hurting other people and being hurt. So. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm glad that they are, they come off as flawed, but not unlikable. Um, because you know, they're, they're like, they're like our friends of people who frustrate us, but who we love. Yeah. And, well, that's, that's the fun part of writing an ensemble and also the important part for a project like ours, where it is kind of like a collective of creative people who are funneling like ideas and thoughts about the world and worldview into this set of four characters into this like band, right. That we want to continue to exist and they, they, it needs to have its own perspectives uh, and opinions on the world. Right. Um, and so like, I don't know, for me, I, I know I hit a point in our character development where I was like, there's always the danger of making a character too likable. And you can always tell when a piece of work like reeks of like, wow, this is such a self-insert character. And this character is so fucking quippy yeah. and like, they really got it. And like they're hot and they're smart and like wow cool like um, I won't name name I might name names <laughs> eventually if I get mad about this but um yeah I don't know like for like for me I know there's something in each one of the main casts where it's like this is a thing that I have felt uh, guilty about or shame about or still is stuff that I have worked on or do work on in therapy like not to use the work as therapy but just to know like these are all things that I have felt and I have done that I don't feel good about but I'm like aspiring to be a, a human being who treats other people well. Right. So you can like, that's a, that's a healthy way. I think to trust fall into like, let's let these characters fuck up and be shitty and, and make those mistakes because like they're humans. I don't know. Was it easier or was it an added pressure to be playing a character in the game? I don't know that I, maybe I compartmentalized this really well. I feel like um, during the writing process, I wasn't thinking too hard about it. Maybe I was, maybe you were, I don't, I don't know. Did you feel like? Well, there's always like the how much of Teddy is in Luca question, you know, that we want people to. Do you write yeah. Luca to be a real jerk and then worry you're going to upset Teddy when <laughs> Teddy has to deliver the lines? <laughs> I mean, the thing is, I feel like I really identify with Luca too. So, you know, if I'm dragging Teddy, I'm also dragging myself. So. Yeah. 
That's true. What what doesn't hurt me, what bounces off me, sticks to you. Yeah. And mm, I yes. believe Jesus said that. Yeah. <laughs> um, fuck. Oh, yeah. Well, another thing that we did is we made sure to have rehearsals with the lead cast mm-hmm. before the, the scripts were locked, um, which was something that, like, I also had always been jealous about from television and like a rolling production schedule, which we weren't quite doing, but wanted to be able to let the cast and their interpretations of the characters and their voices like bleed into the character or at least like meld with it a little bit, you know? And of course we were casting people to match the characters, but I think that was an important part of the process. So, um, yeah. Yeah. The question of whether Luca and I are similar depends. I think it'll change over. It might change over time because I have to play Luca live sometimes now. And that's difficult. I want to talk a little bit about, I guess, the gameplay of this game. Um, You've landed at a point which is, it it really unfolds and you're just given, presented with choices as you kind of go through. There are some interactive elements in it, especially as part of the the musical parts of this game um, where you've given a bit more choice. How did you land there uh, for something that people would be playing as an interactive story? Go ahead and set me off on my former uh, narrative design master's student bullshit. Um, Like, actually, the first prototypes did have some of that stuff. We had, like, walking around and environmental storytelling and all this stuff. And from the beginning, we were, like, choosing to to play test and, 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 like, run the material by people who, like, didn't play games or like truly were not comfortable playing games or weren't the like that audience. Um, and I think oftentimes people who are making games will say like, Oh, we're making it for people who don't play games. But I'm like, okay, but you've got like action components. So is that really like, how far can you push that? And for us, we just got a couple, like we got some important feedback that was like, why am I walking around? Like, I want to know what's next and I don't know how to make it do that. And like, I don't really care what's on the fridge, you know, like I've never read anything that's on the fridge in like new girl or, or whatever. <laughs> um, so I think there was a, a lot of priorities on the project that we wanted to take uh, like control of our choices before interactivity and interactivity was a fundamental part of it in terms of wanting people to feel connected to the characters and their choices, wanting them to feel connected to the music with the music videos. But ultimately like, when we were prioritizing things like performance and pacing and things like that, it's like, you know, you hear stories all the times of writers in games where like they'll hear from the design team, like, Hey, we cut an entire city from the game. Like we cut an environment. So like rework the outline to fit that. Um, and that, that happens in like a lot of production and we had our own constraints and cuts and stuff, but um, we really wanted to let like script drive the course of the project. I don't think I actually answered the interactivity question. I think I just said script, but. I want to dive into the music now because, you know, the the fun thing about this project is there's so many facets and I feel like we've got to start with virtual bands. Um, why did you want to create a virtual band? And and was it was it seeing other virtual bands over the years that kind of made you go, I want to do that one day or? I feel, I feel like there were a lot of like, like anti-pillars that I developed over the years for virtual band stuff. Like, it's not like I personally specifically were like, I want to be a virtual band, but I did start thinking about this when I saw Hatsune Miku play in like 2016 or something. And I was like, wow, it it actually is really beautiful the way that um, this performance is able to be like, um, I don't know, uh, somewhat larger than life and it's fictionalized, but also everyone really buys into it, right? This like willing suspension of disbelief. Um, 
but I was also frustrated by the fact that like Miku never riffs with the audience, or at least when I saw her, she wouldn't be like, Hey, what's up? How you doing? Like she couldn't, cause that's hard to do with Vocaloid tech. Um, so like, I guess that was where I started thinking about doing virtual band stuff. And then as we decided that the characters would be making music and decided like, Hey, let's actually do this properly and see if we can try our hand at this and looking at other examples, I just feel like I kept finding those things that I didn't love, like from projects that have a lot of credibility and great stuff. Right. But like, um, KDA has the problem of being so big, like it's a beautifully made project and the music's great and their, their materials is fucking gorgeous, but it's so big. Um, that they can't have a voice, right? The voice has to go through too many checks and too much process. And like, even if you can find someone who's entrusted with like running, I don't know if they've ever had like a Twitter of their own or something, but like they can't respond to stuff, right? Like if, if a world event happens, they can't have an opinion about it because um, there's too much, there's too many voices in the room. There's too much money involved. Um, there's like literally too many nations involved, right? So like they have kind of blockers in that way. Um, or also projects that like were kind of fucking up in terms of representation and making sure like, yo, if you're gonna put your characters on a stage or out in the world, like it's 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 rough enough when you see stories that are written by people that don't, you know, that are not reflecting the cast. Um, but even worse if you're trying to like create virtual characters and ask people to engage with them in real life. It's like there better be this better be coming from a place that's informed by some genuine perspective and like um, that became crucial to the way that like Michaela Foote and I were building the team from the start. I'm curious about the the character of Luca that you inhabit when you when you play in the band. It's it's almost like there's layers of performance. Um, what's it like to be Luca in the band? At, and 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 I'm curious about like performing live as well. You mentioned that it's it can be a bit challenging. So far, like occasionally I've, I've done interviews as Luca, we do some Twitch streaming. So I do like Twitch live as Luca. And as we start to think about live performances, it's going to be more and more relevant. Um, the two big things that I struggle with is, um, it is hard to, to perform live, right? Especially if like having to make up lore on the spot, like God, I hope we, I, I pray we never actually get so popular that people are auditing the shit I've said. It's like, how, like, how many cousins do you have on your mom's side? Like, I don't remember. It's not real, okay? Um, but also, like, personality-wise, like, Luca is a little bit more, like, um, fucking fail, fail, uh, apologize, what is the word? Ask for forgiveness, not permission. Like I'm, a, I'm a little bit more like overthinky, cautious, careful, oh, yeah. gentle touch, and Luca's a little bit more forward. Yeah. So that can be both cathartic, but also like a scary sometimes. You know, um, uh, our like our gender presentations are different. Our sexualities are a little different. So that's something that like uh, I'm still thinking about and still uh, you know always in therapy about. But. Um, and then I think I think the other thing, just from a production standpoint, that I'm starting to think through is like the fact that as Luca, as as the director and as someone who plays a character and who's the singer, like I am this like vertical, right? And like that has helped the project because it it allows for some uh, agility. Like I can jump on and record a video greeting for something if we only have a twelve hour turnaround, right? Um, but it also makes it more complicated when dealing with the other characters who are played by performers who like own those characters in their own way, but also are kind of sharing voice with the rest of the team. Um, and we have to go through a bit more of a process. So I am 
thinking now or we're working on like how we do touring and how we make sure that like it's not the Luca show because Luca is the the front man for the band but like it is important that that not leak out because like it's it's so fundamental to the series right that like Luca is very forward in the first two episodes and then we just kind of like toss him away because we're like we get it like um, I don't know do you have any thoughts on this I mean, yeah, I think it's always interesting to hear you talk about, like, you being Luca versus you being yourself. Yeah, I think it's it's a lot. A lot of things for Teddy to juggle. Voice is a little different. Yeah. Mm. I'm wondering, when you write these songs, do you go into character? Are you Luca when you compose a song and, and start writing lyrics and, and thinking of it from a musical sense? Or are you going back into Teddy there? I think, well... Um, most of the most of the first five songs in the EP were written um, with uh, Luna Shadows and Thomas Powers, who's half of the Naked and Famous. And so, like, working with them from the beginning, like, they took some cues from our scripts and from the story that we were writing. And, like, uh, Luna and Tom pulled a little bit of dialogue from the script here and there and then, like, worked their magic on it. Um, not that's, that's a good question. I mean, I feel like because we discuss it as a band, and because when we talk about OFK as a band, we're kind of talking about the the creative collective behind it. Um, I don't need, there's not as much pressure for me to be like, what would Luca think? Because it's kind of like, here are some thoughts that Luca might have, but these could have come from Jay, these could have come from Carter or Itsu or whoever, um, except for Debug, who thankfully cannot speak. Almost spoke. Yeah. Didn't. True. Um, yeah, so there's less pressure in that context, I think, to write like as Luca. I think that can be a little bit more like an organic process. Curious by the music as well, because you know the songs are all deeply informed by modern pop music, and you know lots of memorable hooks and melodies. And when I when I think about pop, like at its best, it's about like real emotional highs and lows, and it's about like taking you into an emotional place and like hitting you over the head with it. And, and I'm kind of curious because like. I feel like the show has sort of done the same thing and, you know, or the game, if you will, I, I kind of think of it as a TV show in my brain. Um, but was, was there a choice to kind of go with this genre in particular, this sort of sound for the band because of where the story was emotionally heading in, and how you were approaching these characters in terms of highs and lows of their, their experiences? It, it, it made a lot of sense for it to be somewhere in like uh, a pop space for reasons related to like, my my singing and my range and the sort of ways that I sing, um, but also things like we wanted to discuss the industry of music, right? Um, uh, and things that operate, like someone like Vincent Mode who operates at a mega scale, like we're looking at certain artists uh, who are like these like mega DJ EDM folks. Feel, feel free to name and shame and drag people if you'd like. <laughs> Not on that one. Um, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> we're a little bit too like down the street from some of them. Um, Literally, but uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think pop just made a lot of sense. Like I, I personally like to sing a lot of like either pop or R&B or somewhere in between. And so like um, pop felt kind of like a good start. You know, I also think like something that I think we're working towards now and that I want to see from the music is that like, it's a little bit of a friendly start. It's a little bit of like a, hey, here's these characters. We know it's kind of an animated series and um it can be a little bit like pleasant and fun. We do try to get human and deep and like, you know, have these characters be flawed. So it's not like happy go lucky, but it is a little bit like, um, it's, it's trying to be welcoming in terms of tone. Right. Um, and I think I would like to see the music get a little more fucky as we go and, and, um, little, little wilder, but, but I think I'm happy with the place we started because like, 
it does both um, match somehow matches the genre like visually and, and in terms of storytelling and also um, like you said like the songs each sit in an emotional space and and let you kind of like sink into what's happening with any the the given focal character for an episode. How does it feel to be covered in the music press uh, as part of this? You've seen you've done interviews with Rolling Stones. You got airplay on the radio here in Australia uh, last week or so. What does it feel like to be doing that from from a creative process? How does that make you feel? The reason that we premiered the project or inter- uh, like announced the project at the Game Awards in 2020 through pretty much just a music performance was because we knew we were operating in like a proper, like we are, we are creating tracks with pop musicians, with pop mix engineers, et cetera. Um, and so we want to make sure that the project is treated that way. Like, like I didn't want us to go the way of, for example, like Sayonara Wild Hearts, which like we get some comparisons to, but like they never really tried to be a music project. Like there is no artist name for that music. It's just the composer. Right. And like, they never wanted to do more or, or operate as an artist. It was just kind of like for the purposes of making this game kind of musical. So to me, like in addition to just being like, holy fucking shit, we're in a Rolling Stone or spin is that, um, is that it's treated not as just a game soundtrack. Right. And game soundtracks are incredible, but they're, they're one space in the music world. And we wanted to also exist and be treated as a, an act in its own right. So that's been cool because that's all I'm, all we're beating the drum on right now is like, we're not going away. Like we're trying to do more music. We're trying to be this band. Like we're asking you to get to know the band through the series because we want to stick around. I can't wait for the Australasian tour, maybe coming down, uh, playing some of the capital cities of uh, of, uh, of your local town. You'll be able to find OFK. Uh, Teddy and Claire, it's been a real pleasure to speak to you. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode of Lightmap. Thank you so much. Thank you. Uh, Join the Sifter community on Discord at sifter.com.au forward slash Discord. Um, you can find out more about the game, the biopic, uh, and the music on OFK.cool. Um, it's out now. You can pick up every episode on Steam, on Switch, and on PlayStation. Sifter is produced by Nicholas Kennedy, Fiona Bartholomeus, Daniel Ang, Adam Christo, who is my co-host on this episode. Thank you, Adam. Uh, Mitch Lowe is our senior producer, and my name is Gianni DiGiovanni, and I'm the executive producer. Thanks to Omni Studio for their support of Sifters 3 podcasts. You can find the links to everything we talked about on our website, which is at sifter.com.au, and read more about the games and guests that we've covered and featured there. That's all for now. Thank you so much for joining us, and until next time, have fun. Chris Button here from Droprate, Sifter's video game review podcast. Final Fantasy VII Rebirth is finally here, continuing the ambitious reimagining of a beloved classic. It's very, very funny. I guess like that's that's part of the silliness, you know. Like you have this these really big world-ending stakes. You know, Sephiroth is a really terrifying villain. You know, the world's ending, and I think to have a game that is still fun and pleasant to play, I think maybe the tone is kind of 
it's important to strike both tones because you need that levity so that it's not constantly depressing, you know? And I think so having the characters have that humor and like having the mini games and having it be a little bit lighter hearted, I think does give you that hope. Does it uphold the legacy of the famous original or burn Midgar to ashes to forge its own path? Find out on Drop Rate, available now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts.